Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom Block and Keith Jones. Welcome to Front Row Knowles, KJ. We're recording on Monday morning. A lot of folks will be traveling back from Orlando to their uh, their hometowns, and uh, they will be basking in the glow of a very impressive Florida State victory. Keith, that was the most fun and uh, uh, one of the more memorable performances for Florida State in the last several years, certainly. Certainly in a first game, certainly in an opening game. Uh, you know, the proverbial, what's the uh, classic uh, uh, storybook begins? It's a tale of two halves. And, and actually, this was. Um, FSU uh, fans were a little bit uh, shell-shocked on the first play of the game. Uh, hats off to LSU. They had schemed it well. They had scouted it well. They took advantage of it. But then we get the first of what would end up being three uh, fourth down stands. This one with your with your backup against your own goal line, uh, and then second half. Uh, I read somewhere, Tommy. I didn't. Uh, re- listeners, I'm sorry. I did not did not double check this, but I read earlier this morning that uh, those 45 points are the most points given up by a top five team in the history of the poll era. Uh, it ties. Uh, I think Oklahoma scored or or something. Uh, 45 points in 1968. So in terms of getting out of the blocks hot uh, and in a second half, FSU certainly did that. Yeah, in terms of an opening game, maybe you have to go back to the pit game, Jameis's debut for one like this. But that was that was different because nobody knew if Jameis was going to be any good. And so it was really surprising. Here we knew Florida State was going to be good. The surprise was that they did put up that many points against a good LSU team. So let, let's go back to the beginning, Keith. I guess, I don't know if you felt this way. At half down 17-14, I thought Florida State really hasn't gotten it out of its own way. I mean, too many penalties on defense. Jordan looks a little rattled. It wasn't really anything LSU was doing, other than the fact that they do have some good football players. It just felt to me like if FSU settled down and took a, took a breath, they would be okay. Were you Was that your mindset at the half? Well, actually, I was concerned because, remember, FSU scored right before halftime. Otherwise, they would have gone into the half 17-7. That would have been a a very different halftime conversation, potentially. Uh, But, yes, uh, and and if you want to start nitpicking, uh, you know, FSU never really established the ground game. Uh, Maybe the plan wasn't to do that, and they weren't concerned about it. They ended up with 130, 140 yards rushing to FSU, but – you know, the ground game was not dominant. And so you're going in right before you score at the half, potentially down 17-7, no ground game. As you mentioned, Travis doesn't look – he looks okay. He just doesn't look like himself. Uh, the defense has played well, but given up some points, you're going, uh-oh. That that score, that, that fourth down stop at the beginning of the game, and that score right before halftime to me are the two key plays. Because then FSU can go in at halftime. They make their adjustments. If you look at the drive chart, FSU scored every time they had the ball in the second half, save running out the clock at the end of the fourth quarter. Well, they scored the last drive of the first half, too. And Correct. I, I agree. I guess I guess to me, so at 14-7, we talked about it on the radio broadcast before the drive that this is an important drive. 
But Mike Norvell preaches response, response, response. How do you respond when adversity hits? He talks about it ad nauseum. And so when they went down 14-7 and they responded with a touchdown, even though I realized the defense shouldn't have allowed LSU to move down the field after that, in my mind, I thought, okay, this offense just responded when they need to. They're going to be fine. I, I, I thought it was that significant because you're right. If you're down two scores, it does change the tenor in the locker room. I think instead, the fact they were down three probably just made them mad because they knew that they had, it was it was poor that they didn't get LSU off the field on third and 10 and they let them run for 30 yards or whatever it was. You know, uh, motivation, you and I have talked about this for decades. Motivation is an interesting thing. Sometimes it's fear. Uh, sometimes it's anger. Uh, sometimes it's disappointment. But I agree with you. I think FSU went into halftime angry. They, they were not happy in the position they were at, even though they just scored and narrowed it to three. I mean, this team seems to have a personality, a collective personality that uh, revolves around, I'm going to use the word positive. In this case, they were negative in that they were angry. But the entire group, offense, defense, special teams, I would suspect, I wasn't in the locker room, but I would suspect there was a collective uh, amount of displeasure. And it, it resulted in coming out and playing a very, maybe, maybe, Tommy, the best half of FSU football I've seen in the last 10 years. We'll get to the, the stars of the game and some of the key moments, but broadly, Keith, I'm looking at the conversions. You mentioned that LSU was 0 for 3 on fourth down. Of course, FSU was 1 for 1, and it was the 41-yard pass to Toa Feely. But third downs, and this was the same thing as last year, LSU was 3 of 10, and FSU was 9 of 14. And just thinking out loud, of the five failures, two of them, Johnny Wilson dropped a pass that would have been a first down. I think they were both Johnny. And and another one of them was Jordan Travis needed three yards, and he got two running off tackle or to the left side line of scrimmage. So, I mean, 9 of 14 against that LSU defense. To me, that is the difference. And there was a lot of talk from LSU's side that Jaden Daniels had taken another step. I didn't see it. He is still going to throw short passes, and he's, they're going to let him run. But he won't stand back there and find a second and third receiver. He's afraid to put the ball downfield, and he's not making a difference on third down the way Jordan is. And that, to me, is the biggest difference. And, and we can say that that was on Daniels. I'll be interested, in, and I won't follow him closely. You will because of uh, your, your, your ties to LSU through, through uh, your wife. But I'd be interested in seeing how he does going forward because, here's my point, was it Daniels not being able to convert, or is this Florida State defense much like the offense? Is this Florida State defense now very aware of how third down plays and what they've got to do on third down to get off the field? That'll be an interesting thing to kind of mirror and, and monitor as, as both teams go forward. But I hear you. Yeah, and I know we don't need to spend time dissecting LSU's issues too much, but I I guess I just feel like if you got third and seven with Jordan Travis, that that's he, he converts them at the rate you would convert a third and three. I mean, he's still pretty good at it. But if you got third and seven and you're LSU and you know that they're going to have to throw because they can't run the ball at all, I mean, that's when Florida State feasted. But, uh, well, let's let's go to the defense then, KJ, because certainly certainly in the first quarter, uh, they were – pressing's not the right word. They were over-aggressive. A lot of those penalties, in my opinion, were ticky-tack. But, I mean, there were five of them, I think, in the first quarter, and they were all 15-yarders on FSU. 
four personal fouls. One was in an, uh, an OPI, but other than that, it was four on the defense. And so it was just a mess. They were just giving chunks of real estate to LSU early on. You know, and and I was sitting there watching the game thinking, you know, this is this defense going to grow up? Are they going to mature? Are they going to understand that they can't make those type of penalties uh, and be successful? And certainly uh, it's an exaggeration to say that somewhere, you know, in the first uh, half, the light came on. But the reality is those penalties did go away. Uh, the coaching staff or the players themselves, they got each other's attention. And you didn't see those in the second, third, and fourth quarter. But I agree with you. Um, you know, a lot of times when you have an opening game like this, Tommy, you know, you, you're focused on it, you know, from January. And then you go into to winter workouts. And then you go to spring. And you go to summer. And you go to camp. And you can get a little overhyped. And, and I think the, the FSU defense in particular just needed to settle down. They needed to get that out of their system. Uh, and hopefully they have done that. You won't see that going forward. The reality is, Keith, this game was 45 to 17 and FSU cleared the bench and put in the second unit. And that's when LSU got, you know, that 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 skews the the final stats because they got an extra 80 yards or whatever on that on that play. Um, but general thoughts on how Florida State's defense did turn it around and how they performed. Uh, I, I was well pleased, uh, you know, all the focus from us. Uh, and the fan base is on the offense. And uh, we tend to discount or not pay attention to the defense. Uh, but I thought, uh, you know, I thought the corners, uh, Green and Cypress played very well. Obviously, Green had the, touch, the uh, interception. I was very impressed with the linebackers. I thought, uh, I think Tatum ended up uh, leading the team in tackles. I think he had nine stops total, uh, Tatum Bethune. Um, uh, the defensive line, I mean, verse, they took care of verse. They put a tight end on him. They, they weren't going to let him uh, dominate a game. But I think, Tommy, I think the defense played really, really well. In today's world, you're going to give up points and you're going to give up yardage. That's just the way it is. Um, they responded on that first drive with the, the, the fourth down stop. They had two other fourth down stops. Um, I was really impressed. They still have room for improvement. They're not as good as they're going to get, uh, but I was really impressed with the defense. Um, you know, aside from that first play and the last play, you take those two away, and this is a defense that you would say uh, had an outstanding night. They had a very good night, but you take those two plays away, they had an outstanding night. Keith Ellis, you couldn't run the football. I mean, they had to use the quarterback to do it. They could not line up and run the football with their backs. I'm, I'm looking at it now. It looks like 12 carries combined for a net of 49 yards is what LSU's running backs gave. Now, you get that far behind, you're not running the ball, but they couldn't run it early on when they needed to. If they handed it off up the middle, they got a yard or two, that was it. We've talked about the, the quality and the depth of Florida State's defensive front. Uh, you don't, you know, unless you're really focused in on it, the average fan, me and you included, uh, don't pay attention to it. But when you go back and study the film, you can see Florida State defensive front handling that big offensive line of LSU. Uh, and, and bottom line, no, no great insight here. <laughs> Pardon me. That's exactly where FSU stopped them in the front. And, and result, the results are, are the numbers you just talked about.
Folks, we'll get to the offense and Keon Coleman, but as long as we we started with defense. So LSU's first drive, Keith, they, they break a big play on the first play of the game. They go eight plays, 61 yards. Florida State thinks they have them stopped, but Akeem Dent's call for the personal foul that resets, and FSU still stops them. And it was it was D.J. Lundy on fourth down that got the sack and forced the turnover on downs. Adam Fuller's referred to him and, and Mike Norvell as the most improved linebacker on the team. And I don't know that that's somebody that FSU fans were really counting on in there, but it certainly adds depth, and, and he had a good football game. Very good football game. And, you know, when, when, you're, when your coaching staff starts talking about who's made the biggest improvement, and they they single out the same guy, you know, because Adam did it, and then and then Coach Norvell did it. Um, that simply tells you that's someone that has made some great strides. Um, and when that play was unfolding, I'm thinking to myself, you know, how your mind starts clicking. I don't know where you were on the field, but my mind started clicking. That's a one-on-one play. You know, DJ's got him squared up, but he's not moving. So he can go backwards, he can go left, he can go right. I'm going, Daniels is going to get away from him. Because, you know, D- it's DJ Lundy. You know, he, he that's yeah. not that's not Tatum Bethune. That's not Verse. That's DJ Lundy. He's going to get away from him. You know how your mind starts working. And, and, and DJ went right after him. I mean, he wasn't getting away. And uh, hats off. That is, that is a snapshot of what I suspect is a great amount of work that Lundy has put in and uh, couldn't be prouder for a single individual. He, 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 he really showed up on that play. So the crowd comes into it and it was predominantly FSU. I don't know, maybe 70, 30, I'd say something like that. I don't know how it played on TV, but there was more garnet than there was purple and gold. I can assure you. Uh, and FSU immediately gets a score. So you get a fourth down stand and then you turn around and on that drive, by the way, that's the one that had the OPI on Johnny Wilson and uh, whether we you question it or not, but Florida State overcame it. And then you get the ball to Keon Coleman, and he just shakes off a couple tacklers like they're toddlers, it would be tacklers, and goes to the end zone. And that was the start of, oh, who is this new guy that everybody's been talking about? He's actually legit. You know, um, with with not being able to be at practices like back in the day and not seeing the scrimmages and, and watching on television, let me tell you something. Keon Coleman looks like he's seven foot tall on television. Just the way his body works, the length of his arms. I mean, he looks huge on television. Now, he's a big man to begin with, but um, very impressive, very impressive. And, you know, with all the appropriate hype for Johnny, he would be the first to tell you that he didn't have a good game. You know, he had he had a couple of drops. Um, he would be the first to tell you that. That's how competitive he is. Thinking and moving forward with with Coleman and Wilson, um, that that's a pretty heady uh, combination uh, moving forward. Those are some huge targets. Uh, I, I would love to be um, I would love to be Travis right now. I think he's very happy with who he gets to throw the ball to. Yeah, I, I told the story earlier on our show, Keith, but the first practice I went out to this fall, I I look up and Keon Coleman's standing next to me. He wasn't running a play. He was not in the on the field at that moment. But I just took a look at the his legs and his frame, and I thought, man, that guy is well put together. I mean, he looks like an NFL receiver. And when I say that, he looks like a guy that's 26 or 7, and he's in his fifth or sixth year in the league, right? I mean, he's just put together. So 
it was a great game for him. So just just playing this through a little bit after FSU scores, uh, LSU comes back, got some runs from from Jaden Daniels, which again was really their only offense in terms of running the ball. They tie it at seven. FSU gets the ball back and they're short on third down when Jordan Travis kept it. And uh, but eventually they get the ship righted. And I, you know, another sign of a mature team, Keith, it didn't take until halftime. I mean, we talked about Norvell preaching response. They were able to respond mid-second quarter and and kind of get their act together. That's when things changed. I mean, the locker room talk at halftime, that just reinforced it, I think. But they got their act together middle of the second quarter. We talk about uh, in-game and halftime adjustments. And obviously, when you've got halftime, you can sit down. The coaches can get together, both the ones that are in the box, ones that are on the field. Uh, they can, uh, you know, half game, halftime works where the coaches immediately get together. The kids get a break. They set what they want to talk to the kids about. You break into offense, defense segments. You, you relay that information, and then you get together as a team couple of words from the head coach and you get out of there but the in-game adjustments you know during and between drives my opinion has always been and and I didn't create this I parrot what what coach Bowden taught me you know the ability to be on the sideline in between drives and communicate upstairs and make your adjustments and then execute those adjustments that's what separates the really good teams from the great teams it's what separates coaching staffs and it's what separates teams. So I agree with you. I, I think, you know, a couple of drives in that second half, uh, the offense was on the sideline while the defense was on the field. They made some, some adjustments. They talked about, they settled down. Uh, and I agree with you. You know, halftime is always an important time, but those in-game adjustments and that communication between drives, that is a really undervalued segment of what a staff and a team can respond to. And, and I really like the way that this group did, at least through one game in the season. Total side note, Keith, but I'm looking at my notes that I take during the game. So LSU muffs a punt, and Florida State immediately turns it over the next play on a bad interception by Travis. So in, in two years, Keith, LSU has muffed three punts, basically in the red zone, some closer to the goal line, some closer to the 20. And FSU has scored zero points out of three muff punts, and they've still beaten LSU twice. Football is a crazy game, isn't it, Tommy? <laughs> yeah, because well, LSU will look at it and say, man, we were sloppy in the first half. We muffed a punt. And Florida State will say, yeah, but you gave it to us on the 20, and we did nothing with it. Right. right? So it's it was sort of a battle of ineptitude for a little bit there. Um, the, 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 the first drive, Jimbo used to talk about this, and uh, it goes to your point about in-game adjustments you know, on the fly. But that first drive of the second half is always critical. Either if you're on defense, get a stop. If you're on offense, get points. And uh, so Florida State moved the ball in. It, it was right away. It was pretty easy work to go down. I, I know they got a field goal there, but that wasn't insignificant either. And that just kind of took the, the cork out of the bottle because after that, uh, Florida State's offense was humming. It, it really was. And, and uh, you know, I've never gotten, I don't know if you've asked the question, maybe it's something we need to investigate, but you know, I, I've never been clear on how much input uh, Coach Atkins has on the play calling. You know, it, it, it appears, and I think it's appropriate, that Norvell is calling the plays. But I don't know how much input Alex has. Uh, I, I seem to think that he is getting more and more, giving more and more input. 
because if you go back and look at those drives, those the play calling was a was a little different in those three or four scoring drives in the second half than it was in the first half. It was a little cleaner. It was a little more crisp. You know, you know, Coach Fisher, all uh, Jimbo always talked about you know calling a play to set up a play, or calling a play to set up a play two plays later, and and it it was just it was it was textbook in the second half. It just was. It, it was great execution by the team, but it was great play calling. Did the TV broadcast so two two changes on the line, and one of them happened early. It didn't happen at halftime, but Robert Scott had started at left tackle, and Bless Harris was in pretty early. I don't recall seeing an injury, and I don't think Norvell was asked about it. I don't. Re- uh, again, I so I don't know if that was an injury or if it was just a hey, we got to get another guy in there. And then in the second half. They pulled uh, Dimitri Emanuel. I think it was the first drive of the second half. And uh, the Auburn transfer went in at right guard. And same thing. I don't know if that was an injury or a, hey, we're going to get more physical and, and this guy's a better run blocker and we're going to make the switch. But but anyway, two-fifths of the starting uh, offensive line was replaced during the game for one reason or another. And again, we'll we'll figure out why. But it definitely seemed to me that they were intent at the start of the third quarter to be more physical and say, okay, you guys think you're the SEC and you're out out toughing us? No, we're about to turn that around, and that's what they did. And once they started running for four or five yards at a clip instead of two or three, that opened up everything with the passing game and everything Jordan does. And and again, you know, my comments earlier about you know FSU really didn't establish the running game. What I mean is they didn't establish the running game the way we saw it last half of the season. You know, when you had uh, Tayshawn and, and Trey and 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 Tulafili you know, running eight, nine yards at a time, <laughs> that will come. Um, that will come. Uh, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't personally notice those changes on the offensive line. My biggest um, comment on that, Tommy, is isn't it nice that you can make those changes? Because it's been yeah. several years. It's been several years where you couldn't make those changes on the offensive line. And to be fair, and I'm not looking at the, uh, the depth chart, but both those positions might have been listed as or we get we make fun of coaches and and they told us they were going to play eight guys. So again, at this moment, and we're recording on Monday morning after a late night, I don't know if those were injury, if they were because the guys were getting beat and they wanted to try something else, or just because they were playing to play other guys. I honestly don't know the reason, but that those are facts that those guys played. I'm looking at the stats in the third quarter, Keith, when Florida State took command of the game, they uh well, now I just lost it. At 137 to 56 was the yardage as FSU outscored LSU 10 zip in the third quarter. And so they went from training on 17-14 to, to leading 24-17. And then you start the fourth quarter, and that's where you get the interception from Renardo Green. And it's capped uh, on the uh, third Coleman TD catch over Deuce Chestnut that gives them a two-score lead. And I think at that point, people realized that it was not going to be a repeat of last year. Although the thought did go through my head, Florida state had a two touchdown lead in the fourth quarter last year and things got real interesting, but uh, not this time around. They, they took care of business. Two things. Number one, uh, you know, among all of the litany of things that we talk about and and quote unquote uh, pick on coach Norvell, you know, um, that he's he's so hyper and he's so intense and he's so this and he's so that. You know, one of the things you, you mentioned uh, earlier, but one of the things he always harps on is finish. 
you got to finish. You got to finish. And that's exactly what Florida State did. The other sidebar, I don't know if you've picked up on this or heard about this, but uh, Green's interception, Norvell was actually being interviewed on the sideline. And, and so the play was unfolding in a split screen and, and the announcers weren't saying anything. And coach Norvell was talking about, we got to finish, we got to finish, we got to finish when the green interception actually occurred. Um, it's been a while since I've seen that. I don't, I don't think Mike even knew the ball had been intercepted till he got through obviously with the interview. Uh, that was a kind of a humorous sidebar. Well, it, it certainly worked out well in Florida State cruise from there. I'm, I'm looking at this, Keith. So you score six touchdowns in the game, uh, three by Keon Coleman and two by Jaheim Bell. So that's five touchdowns by two guys that weren't on this team a year ago. They're transfers that come in. And once again, here's Norvell just hitting. He's not just hitting uh, singles and doubles. He's hitting home runs in the portal. Uh, Keon Coleman, everybody saw. But Jaheim Bell, he didn't even have that huge a game, in my opinion. He had a critical drop early on but he blocked his tail off in the game. They ran a lot of two tight end stuff. So, so Jaheim was in the slot a lot, which don't worry, folks, Destin Hill and Winston Wright can play football. And there'll be other games where they're in the slot more and FSU's using one tight end. But, but to see Jaheim Bell, they scheme him open just down the sideline. And then he gets the other one. And I really love the last touchdown of the game, Keith, because that was a, we're not taking a knee. We're shoving it down your throats right here. That's who we are. And we're going to play this way. And I know, you know, that's not gentleman football, so to speak. But as Bobby used to say, the other team's trying to score too. So so what if they didn't take a knee? I, I liked it in terms of the attitude that it showed. Yeah, the, the and again, it goes back to a comment we made earlier about this team and the team. makeup. Yeah, go ahead. About this team and the makeup of this team. Uh, again, collectively, collectively. Um, you know, they – they understand the big picture. Uh, and I don't think any moment's going to be too big for them. I don't think they're going to get, I don't think they're going to get the big head, Tommy. You, I mean, you're around them a lot more than I am these days. Uh, and obviously you were on the sideline uh, for the entire game. I, I just get the impression that this is not a group that uh, is going to rest on their laurels. They have bought into the concept of work. And, and, and I don't think they're going to back off of that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And uh, it's, it's funny to sit here right now. You whipped up on a top five team, 45 to 24. And when I talk to guys after the game, the FSU feeling is they, they really left a, there's a, they're only scratching the surface. They made so many mistakes. They're not even, I mean, in their mind, that game could have been 70 to, to 17 if they to play it now. I know that's a little bit of hyperbole from the from the team standpoint, but there there's a lot to clean up there. So you get a dominant win. It's impressive. It'll do a big television number. Polsters will take note to I mean, I would think FSU might by by virtue of that score, uh, you know, maybe you can jump to the top five instead of just moving up one spot. Not that I really care about that. But point point being it was an eye opening win and yet Florida State doesn't feel that way because they realize they made so many mistakes. And that's the attitude you got to have. I mean, you go back and look at the, third, the 2013 group, you look at the, the 1999 group, and even the 93 group. You know, we were all around, you and I were fortunate enough to be around those all those teams. 
Um, and one of the things you can say about all of those national championship teams, and I'm not re- willing to put I'm ready to put Florida State in that same category, but one of the trademarks of those squads were they were never satisfied. They were always looking to get better. And this team, at, at least through one game, appears to show that same type of mindset. I always uh, like to share, not that I'm tight with any of these guys, but I say hello to them when I see them. But former Seminoles who were on the sideline, Keith, in this one, Derek Brooks uh, comes pretty frequently. He certainly did when his son was on the team. So there's Derek Brooks, and then I look up, and there's Leroy Butler. And I think, well, there's two pro football Hall of Famers that are watching this game from the sideline. Then I look to my left, and there's E.J. Manuel, and to my right is Danny Cannell. And then I see Peter Warwick and Snoop Miss, and they're hanging out with Travis Johnson. P.J. Williams was there. Brian McFadden was there. Xavier Rhodes was there. I mean, it was a who's who. It might be more FSU guys, NFL guys, than I can remember. I mean, it it truly was an impressive cast of uh, football alums that were watching that game from the sideline. You know, Tommy, we've talked about this not a lot, but some, you know, when, when Coach Bowden was alive and, and he was coaching and he was retired, you know, we're around him all the time. And Tallahassee is around him. He's in Tallahassee all the time. And and we don't appreciate, didn't appreciate how how great a legacy that he was. And so now we, we look at the Florida State legacy. And, and after some down years and some, some issues, you know, Florida State, you know, I'm not ready to say they're completely back, uh, but they're knocking on the door. And so then you start looking at the people on the sidelines, and that's when you start getting the appreciation for how good this program has been collectively for oh so many years and is, is climbing their way back into that national conversation and again i'm not ready to declare florida state the victor and and they're going to win the national championship they've got work to do but the trajectory uh dare i say it tommy don't reach through that phone and grab me but dare i say it the climb the climb has begun are you a sherpa i guess that's the question it's continued it didn't just begin it's I feel like my internet uh, connection here at the hotel is getting spotty, KJ. So why don't you uh, salute who I'm pretty sure uh, will be our primetime, prime meridian player of the game here. But I'll well, let we're going to change. We're going to change things up. We're going to change things up. Our focus is going to be a little bigger, and 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 I don't want to, um, I don't want to shortchange Keon, uh, but uh, the 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 thought process. Uh, as sponsored by Prime Meridian Bank this year, is going to be the most interesting part of the game, the most interesting part of the game. And for me, I'm going to go back to that fourth down stand on defense on the first drive. You know, you you give up a, a penalty and you create a first and goal at the two or whatever it was with four downs to make it. And that defense rose to the occasion. So the most interesting concept, most interesting part of that game to me was that first defensive stand. And uh, that's brought to you by Prime Meridian Bank, three locations, Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and down in Lakeland. They're there for all your business and personal needs. Member FDIC, equal housing, uh, equal lending opportunity person. 
I got to get that down. I'm not in in, in uh, mid shape, uh, mid game, uh, mid season form. Uh, but the most interesting part brought to you by uh, Prime Meridian Bank, I think, is that defensive stop. That really set the tone. No offense to Keon. No offense to Keon. <laughs> All right. Well, Keon gets three scores. First uh, time a receiver's had three touchdown receptions since Auden Tate in the Independence Bowl after the 2017 season. So that was an insignificant. Um, I'm just looking at some of the team stats, Keith, LSU. Uh, again, that's skewed because of the long touchdown at the end against the second team unit, but I guess it all counts. Uh, we talked about the conversions. Uh, anything else jump out at you from a team standpoint? And then we'll get to some of the individual the penalties. FSU finished with seven, but they had five in the first quarter. So again, that goes to they got dialed in and they and they they righted the ship, so to speak. Well, two things you always look for defensively, first game. Uh, busted assignments, and, and again, Coach Adam and, and, and Coach Shannon would have to tell you whether anybody busted something on that first play, that first offensive play that LSU got the big yardage on. But you worry about busted assignments. I didn't see them. There might have been one or two that, that didn't stand out. And secondly, missed tackles. Uh, I, I thought the tackling was, was very good. I didn't see uh, much indication. Uh, that, you know, it was first game and, and, you know, people hadn't been hit. So, you know, I give kudos to the defensive squad and to the defensive coaches in those two regards. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Now, this is a short week. The axiom says that you make the most improvement between week one and week two, and there's a lot to clean up. And uh, you'll get the home opener. I think you'll see an inspired FSU team uh, against Southern Miss. And, uh because I, I do think this is a team that won't be distracted by what everybody else is talking about because Norvell is so in the moment. He doesn't look past anything. I'm not saying he's not thinking about a third down call when he's calling the second down call, but he just lives in the moment because it does no good to worry about what you're doing next Thursday. Internet just throws Tuesday. up on us, folks. One of the great things about technology is we are subject to it. Let's see if Tommy comes back real quick. Well, I'm still here. There Keith. he is. He there he is. There he is. I'll tell you what, let's do this because it's been getting spotty. I'm in the in the hotel here and I don't know what's happened. Let's just go ahead and wrap this up for now and we'll uh we'll debrief again in our regular Wednesday show. Sound like a plan? Sounds good. Sounds good, Tommy. All right. Folks, we do this after each and every uh, football game this year. We've been doing it for years. So uh it'll it'll be in your podcast feeds. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. Until uh Wednesday at noon, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in to Front Run Holes.